Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I am Warren Munson, the host of the podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts from a variety of sectors are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. In line with Evolve's principles, we also look at the importance of personal development, accountability and collaborative support in the pursuit of meaningful success. Through the insights of our guests, as well as my own business journey, the aim is to inspire you, the listener, to become better in life and in business. Welcome to this week's episode. Today is a slightly longer one than normal, but for very good reason, and it is an episode that you do not want to miss. My guest is James Pickles. In 2019, James was a sales director at a top technology business. For the past 10 years at that company, he'd been flying high, very high indeed. He'd grown his part of the business from basically nothing to £6 million in annual turnover, was heading up and leading the sales team in Europe, and had established highly profitable client relationships with well-known brands such as Unilever. James was, by most people's perception, a highly successful individual, and he had all the material rewards that came with that. However, in March of 2019, James had a severe mental and physical breakdown that left him unable to speak, let alone work. He spent the remainder of that year on leave and underwent regular intensive therapy. It was through this therapy and subsequent recovery that James began to understand why he'd had his breakdown. And he was also made aware that he was far from the only one who'd suffered from a similar experience or was heading towards one. James has since become a personal performance coach as a result. I don't want to give too much away because James's story is not only compelling and incredibly honest, it's one I think that's really important for us all to listen to extremely carefully. Because it's all too easy to accept stress as just another part of a business owner's life. It's all too easy to think that being super successful means working yourself to that point of ultimate exhaustion and then being admired for it along the way. It's a dangerous and destructive mentality that we see and hear about far too often And it's something I believe we need to be ever aware of. It's a bad trap to fall into. And as you'll hear in James's story, the consequences can be so severe. Because of James's admirable openness, the original recording of this podcast went beyond two hours. To cut it down a little, we've edited the out the introduction to his early career and his path to becoming that highly successful sales director. We begin instead on that March day of 2019 moments before James had his breakdown. Perhaps could you could just tell us what changed in 2019 and what happened at that point, James? Yeah, sure. So um, 2018, by all the measures, all the measures that I was looking at was very successful. I was hitting all of the metrics, all of the targets, and I was uh so it's all going to sound a little bit cocky now but i'll try and just present it as fact so i was the the head of the fastest growing most profitable team in europe who had uh perhaps the best most efficient sales team in europe and we had become a pillar of strategic growth for the whole group and we were being described as a center of excellence for europe um which meant my job had my remit had expanded quite a bit by then to go over sort of marketing and strategy 
and marketing meant being a front man really so i started doing trade shows not just in my own territory which is the uk but across europe too yeah. and started training uh some of the corporate salespeople in the other teams as well because it was determined that what i was doing and my team were doing was working the best so could we transfer that on and that's how i was i was doing that and i was uh enjoying it it was quite nice okay. to be praised and you know gone to for advice and the ceo yeah. would always come to my desk and want me to it's a bit like a temperature check what do i think's going on what's happening in the market what big deals am i working on etc cetera, etc cetera. and it was flattering and i i quite like that so saying yes to loads and loads of extra things was working out really well for me by one measure so 2018 was an absolute record breaker and it, clearly i was getting paid in a commensurate way for that success and 2019 to everybody's surprise started even stronger traditionally the q1 we ran a calendar year january february march traditionally it was always a bit quiet every year because we'd pulled in so much business into november and december to you know, finish the year as successfully as possible because I was also usually being asked to backfill gaps yeah. elsewhere in the business by overachieving against the target they'd asked me for, which I usually would do. Um, the first two or three weeks of January started pretty quiet, and we we're like, "Yep, that always happens." But come on, now, what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, it was it wasn't quiet at all. Um, it looked for a little while like Q1 was going to be bigger than Q4, which is just absolutely unheard of uh, lots of trade shows i'd run around europe doing talks and being on discussion panels and a chairman's conference which i uh, hosted and properly front of center a lot of travel and it was all very stimulating warren i was having a lovely time until somebody asked me how i was right uh, that simple question yeah how, how are you, you? How are you doing? And I replied, how I always replied to all questions of that nature from anyone, which was fine, brilliant, excellent, splendid, superb. And this colleague of mine, who knew me pretty well, it was a different part of the business. So I didn't report to her. She didn't report to me. We were peers. Um, we collaborated a few times, but, you know, mostly it was just two peers. And uh, I liked her and trusted her and she seemingly liked me. So she noticed that my fine didn't ring true and we were at a trade show at the time actually or rather at a weatherspoons around the corner from a trade show <laughs> afterwards debriefing <laughs> on stuff and we've done all the whole who met who about what and what are the actions and all that jazz and so most of the team had gone it was just i was just left with her my immediate boss the guy that ran all of europe uh, the most senior guy in my team and another colleague that worked with okay. lots and lots of things. So it had gone from 40 of us to six of us around the table, at which point she'd already asked me twice how I was by then. Okay. In a kind and of, you've done you your sure? fine. Brilliant. Done, yeah, I'd done my fine. <laughs> brilliant. And followed up with, uh, no, no, I'm fine. No, I'm just tired. No, I'm just a bit tired. I'm fine. I'm fine, honestly. Yeah. Move on, move on. Move yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> not the time. Um, and everybody buggered off apart from this, these six. And she leaned in a third time with a sort of more, with what? A, 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 an inquisitive, but gentle. So it was like quite a, like, so how are you? Kind of. Like a, yeah. in brackets, really. How are you? Brackets, really. And uh, I, don't, I don't know why particularly I chose that moment to begin to tell the truth, but I did. Probably out of fatigue. It definitely wasn't a plan. Just tired. 
Yeah, my alcohol. guard was down. My guard, yeah, definitely booze, but my, my guard was down out of fatigue. And I, I, I guess I sort of forgot to project at the mm. third time of asking. So I found myself saying, oh, do you know what? I don't think I am fine. But I didn't finish, I couldn't finish the sentence. I got to the F, got to the F of fine. I don't think I am. And instead of saying fine, I found myself just bursting into tears instead. Like out of nowhere, completely just burst into tears. Inner weather spoons. There's still 150 other market research professionals kicking about. I'm still in front of my boss and my boss's boss. And your key team member. Key team member and her and a head of another department. Five people that I'd been working really hard for a really long time to project what they expected of me and what I thought they wanted to see and hear. And I've been doing damn well at that. And now here I am crying in it, but not in a, not in that sort of, Oh, something's taken me by surprise emotionally. And I've welled up slightly. Oh, look at that. But definitely an outpouring of emotion. And once, once I began, what was particularly surprising. And when I say surprising, I actually mean frightening was that I couldn't stop. Wow. Once I'd started, I was like, oh, shit, stop it, James. What are you doing? Get hold of yourself, was my internal monologue. But yeah. what was present- presenting instead was lots of tears, but like a headache, intense pressure in front of my head. Snot was coming out. <laughs> my face had gone red. I'm like hiccuping a little bit, just trying to grip on. And uh, my grip slipped away and so i just spent quite a bit of time just crying in a pub with my shoulders going and right and And what support was there from your team your colleagues at that point in in the moment yeah uh well firstly everyone was surprised put it mildly followed immediately just by incredible caring empathy some shock definitely but Mostly like, oh, because like, you know, people aren't all staring at me at the very moment I begin breaking down. But we're at a small table, so it didn't take long for people to go, hang on a minute, what's happening to Pickles? Something's going on here, yeah. What's happening here? So people are leaning and going, oh, what's happening? You okay? You okay? And I'm just sort of gasping, going, I'll be fine in a minute. Clearly not. And everyone just sort of leant in with a metaphorical kind of arm around my shoulders. I'm like, oh, can I get you a drink? So Mm. desperate to help in whatever way that they could very limited ways that you could help someone as in there isn't a, there's not a huge breadth of helping options other than in a pub yeah. <laughs> what have you got can i get you some of that blue bog roll behind the bar <laughs> that they used to wipe tables with and more booze can i get you a drink so uh so we just talked for a little while and people was really really surprised that i didn't receive any sort of not derision exactly i don't think i was expecting that i thought i guess i thought people would try and ignore it or make a joke of it or walk away from it out of awkwardness Mm. and that actually people think i was just making a fast like we do man pull yourself together stiff up a lip that sort of response tufty tufty come on i got none of that from them i got the exact opposite suddenly people started telling me in a sort of camaraderie kind of way almost of some of the struggles that they've been facing. One guy had had throat cancer and he'd um, recovered from that clearly. And he'd had a lot, a lot of therapy, a lot of therapy to help him deal with it. 
another guy admitted to a whole bunch of therapy he'd had because some stuff had happened to him as a younger man. I was like, gosh, what? What do you mean? Mm. Therapy? Oh, right. So now they're just talking about what help they've needed and how hard stuff's been for them sometimes. Like, shit. <laughs> never saw that coming. And we finished the night with more drinking. I'd have to calm down a little bit. Yeah. And we did start making some jokes about stuff, you know, as you do, diffuse, yeah. deflect and diffuse. Take the, yeah. Take the, not the embarrassment, but take the edge off the whole evening and try and get back to what, inverted commas, is normality, I suppose. Well, exactly right. And I've, I've since, I've really noticed since then, the extent men in particular, I, I really not trying to make this at all about gender, but it's just my frame of reference. The amount of times where I've got together in the past and somebody's about to kind of open up on some stuff and it gets, it feels a tiny bit awkward. So somebody makes a joke yeah, and then everybody latches onto that joke yeah. and then the moments passed and whoever it was that was about to talk about something then doesn't. Doesn't get the opportunity or just, yeah, just closes off and joins in the banter and, sort of hey ho moves on and yeah right because it's more comfortable yeah because it's uncomfortable fortunately that's what men do isn't it and that's why there's some scary statistics around well men quite right mental health and so thank goodness that didn't happen and eminently could have somebody could have got uncomfortable and made a joke and i'd have been delighted to run with that but didn't happen so we had a lovely chat eventually it did you know calm down had quite a number of beers which had become absolutely normal for me most days of so the that week. was a coping mechanism mm. yeah i was coping via well booze. you thought you were coping but <laughs> yeah. yeah i wasn't coping as it turns out but i was medicating i was self-medicating with alcohol four or five yeah. days a week so for me to go back late and bit pissed was entirely normal by then yeah so my wife wasn't that shocked when i got back late and pissed particularly after a trade show but even on an ordinary day but I was later than usual. I was a little bit slightly drunker than usual. So shambled back to bed, went to bed, probably snored all night and probably smelled of beers and whatever. And woke up the next day with a hangover, which was also totally normal for me, four or five days a week. And she said, oh, how's yesterday? Except she didn't put it quite so placidly. It was more like, mm, you snored all night, you're really annoying, and you got back really late, why didn't you text me? Uh, followed by, well... How was yesterday anyway? Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, it's fine. You know, it's a trade show. But, uh, you know, funny thing, a curious thing happened last night as I tried to play it off as a curiosity yeah. and it retold the story. And the trigger word was exactly the same to my great surprise. And then I said to her, I don't think I am. And I wasn't intending to then uh, yeah. relive yeah. the story blow by blow, but that's exactly what happened. I got to the trigger word of fine again, the word of vo- vocalizing, I'm not fine set me off again and then i was properly more so actually sobbing in front of my wife at eight o'clock in the morning the following day and uh, at that point we'd been together for almost 20 years married for 15 years this thursday in fact our crystal anniversary this thursday happy anniversary (laughs) thank you many thanks um so she'd seen me cry perhaps three times before that yeah this was the fourth she'd never seen me cry like that so and I couldn't stop again. Worse, actually, because I'm in a much safer space. Yeah. Um, but properly frightening for me and her. She's like, oh, what is happening here to the yeah. guy that has an iron grip? Yeah. On everything. So that was pretty frightening. 
didn't go to work that day. Decided yeah. I'd have a day off because the two great cures for problems are booze and take a day off. Yeah. Uh, yes, I did. Took a couple of days off and then drifted into the weekend with our usual okay. array of many, many social things because. Yeah. Uh, Keep that's yourself how busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that was your yeah. another coping mechanism, I assume, was keep yourself busy. Well, so I, you know, I was used to operating at quite a high level at work, yeah. and I didn't know how to step off that. So the weekends always had to be really full of things. Yeah. And actually, it would start usually on Wednesday night, definitely Thursday. Yeah. We used to call it Wet Wednesday, as to make a joke about being allowed to have a drink, followed by yeah. Thirsty Thursday. And then, you know, Friday's Friday. It doesn't need a special name, Friday night. So yeah, we had, you know, parties and things to do and people to see and all the rest of it. We actually had a big party on, or attended a big party on that weekend, yeah. at which even by my standards then, my manic approach to social engagements had been dialed up to 11. In the, my, in my traditional crashing hangover on Sunday morning, my wife was like, you were weird last night. Oh, what do you mean? She, she said, uh, it's like you've been told this was the last booze in all of the world and you were drinking like you wanted to make sure you got your share. Wow. That's a statement and a half. Which I just brushed off and went, shut up. Yeah. You know, oh, come on now. Just, I was know, having a good time. Having a good time. <laughs> Actually, I even had a phrase for it that was quite a common phrase at that point. I was like, come on, I was just trying to drink it fun. Which was a commonplace phrase for me, which meant it's not fun enough for me. I'm just trying to drink it fun. Wow. Which which was a collective a statement in it. Yeah, statement a collective in itself. effort. Yeah, it meant drink it fun for me meant come with me, everybody. Yeah. I'm going to make this super fun, the funnest party anyone's ever had. I'm gonna do it with this big tray of shots and drinking games and larking around. Let's drink it fun. Because I was I think I was a little bit dead inside by then. I was so numb. Anything I did had to be dialed up so that I could feel something. But and that become normal. That's the thing. That's I didn't, I didn't come into it like that. But that's what normal looked like. And then what happened in the following days and weeks? Then did that just continue, or was there then a point in which you realised you couldn't go on like that? Uh, yeah, both. So I did just carry on because that's just what you do. Yeah. Solve anything by working harder and playing harder. Work hard, play hard. Um. So I went back to work thinking that was a weird one. Yeah. Um, by coincidence, we had at work an EAP program, employee assistance program, which had just come in. It's like an insurance product, isn't it? Where they provide yeah. you with support and help and services anonymously via a third party that's paid for by HR. And they presented it to all of us. And I thought, it's a bit weird that I did masses of crying last week and had to have a couple of days off. And I, I probably am wound a little bit tight. So one of those days off, I thought, maybe I'll call that number. But I had to construct a fantasy around it, meaning I wasn't doing it for me. I was doing it because I was a team manager. And I thought, and I like to know how stuff works. It's a bit of a control freak. So I'll call it so that if one of my team asks me about it, I can tell them how it works. Right. Ah, oh, okay. I can get hold of that. It's not for me. It's not for me. No. I'm, doing it, I'm doing it for a mate. <laughs> um, and so I, that's how I had to construct it otherwise I wouldn't be able to do it and even though I had this this narrative constructed 
it was still the hardest phone call I've ever done. I was really, it took me ages of, I probably weren't around tidying the house up first and did the dishwasher and reorganized yeah. my sock drawer and other displacement activity to, until I had the courage to call it. Clue is in the title, of course. It's a helpline and it yeah. helped. I was like, oh, I was pleasantly surprised once I got through. Oh, actually, that was really helpful. That wasn't quite as scary as I thought. But mind you, nothing could have been as scary as how I thought it would be, which would be mm. the worst thing ever. Um, so I went back to work and thought, oh, actually, it wasn't so bad. I know what I'll do. I'll write an email to my team and I'll let them know. After all, that is the fantasy narrative that I've constructed. So I ought to follow it through. So I wrote this email and said, oh, hi, you know, hi, guys. Um, you probably wouldn't have noticed because you'd all gone by then. But last week at the trade show, I was sat around the table with A, B, C, D and E. And somebody asked me how I was. And actually, I've been pretty stressed at the moment. You know, we've had a super busy year, mega busy. This is March by this time. This is uh, like 19th or 20th of March. And uh, actually, I have been pretty stressed. And um, I actually sort of cried a little bit last week. That was weird. So I, so I called the number. And, uh, you know, including the name, it was helpful. Da, 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 da. So here's the number here. Put the link on. Put the number in the email. Let me know if you've got any questions about that, love, James didn't say love um kind regards probably uh i can do better than my own team it's only half a dozen people i might as well send it to the, all of the sales team in the uk yeah. which which adds another 20 people on can do no harm can do I mean, why not in for a penny um well i might as well send it to ops too because project managers have a lot of client contact and that's really stressful to deliver against the projects that occasionally enthusiastic salespeople have overpromised on that can be challenging. Yeah. So I'll send it to a few ops people. By now it's like half the office. I'm like, well, I might as well do the rest. I might as well send it to finance <laughs> and marketing. <laughs> yeah, all UK. So it goes to Com UK. I mean, a sister agency too, that also on the same floor that we collaborated with. I was like, oh, God, I might as well send it to that lot. Well, I might as well send it to the other sales teams that I've been training. And I might as well send it to their bosses too, because it's weird if I... Now yeah. it's a really big email, <laughs> and now I, now I might as well send it to a few people in the the US. So basically, it's everyone that I'd ever worked with in that organisation, yeah. or might. And there was about 140 in the end on the distribution list. I thought, oh, aren't I clever? Press send. At the instant, worst sender's remorse imaginable when you when you're bitching about somebody online and you've accidentally sent it to the person you're bitching about because they're front of mind, that kind of, Oh no, what have I done? <laughs> Claw it back. It's too late. Anyway, I was going into my annual appraisal that very second. It was the last thing I did before strolling into the boardroom with my boss and the head of Europe to have my annual review. And I walk in hands shaking, feeling sick, white as a sheet. And like, Whoa, you're right. Bearing in mind, this is the same two people that have been with me the week before. And I went, I think I've just done something really stupid, at which point I cried again. I'm like, what? What? Actually, one of them had just had just read it on his phone. So he knew, but the other guy didn't. Oh, what? And guy number one says, I think you should just read your emails. So I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. What's happening here? And then the other one reads it. And they both go... That's, that's amazing. Not like, what are you doing? Stay in your lane. Like, that's amazing you've done that. And I'm like, is it, is it? Still drying my tears. Didn't have an appraisal chat at all. They're just like, you know, what's, 
how can we help? What's happening to you? What do you need? What do you want to do? As an employer, you know, and in, that's a great response, isn't it? That's the response you want to give. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it rather relied on me to know what I wanted. Yeah, that's true. Which I didn't. But it was, as responses go, as instinctive responses go, it was, it was good. I'm not challenging you on that one. But anyway, that meeting finished. And I walked out thinking... Okay, they'd been kind, but God, what am I going to get back to in my inbox? We load a people game. What are you telling me that for? Mind your own business. I expected one from the head of HR going, uh, James, not really appropriate for you to da 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 da. That's our job. Wind your neck in. Uh, didn't get that. I had, but I did have 82 replies to the 140 that I'd sent out within one hour from all over Europe and the UK. 80 is basically everyone in the UK office plus a few others. So I was like, oh, as a reply, as a response rate to (laughs) an email, I've never had one that good. Even to invite to my oldest friends to my birthday wouldn't have a response (laughs) rate that high. But I interpreted it at the time as like, see, see, that's 80 people telling you you've been an idiot. And it wasn't. It was 80 people saying thank you. It was 80 people saying that's really brave. Well done. 80 people saying, really sorry to hear it. 80 people going, I can't believe it's you. Mm. You of all people. Really? And quite a few saying, actually, if you could whisper on email, they'd be whispering. But um, yeah, actually, I've, yeah, I've been having a bit of a shit time as well. So it's so great of you to own up like that because I've, um, I've been having a bit of a shit time. I'm like, oh. I really feel like I should whisper now, Warren, in the podcast. Oh, yeah. oh, really? Um, a couple of people said, I, I, actually, do you mind? Could we have a chat? And I was like, yeah, great. I was quite pleased by them. Oh, brilliant, because I'm back in control now. This is about actions and yeah, stuff. I've got so positive I'm... response. You know? Oh, good, good. I have yeah. been validated and I can help. So that's yeah. the position I like to be in. End of the day, rolls around. And um, two different days, actually. But on, on day one, I forget the order. I forget who went first, but somebody went first. Yeah, so we grabbed a coffee, put, snuck off to one of the quiet little corners. End of the day, anyway, most of the office is gone. And uh, she goes, uh, thank you for sending that email. Da, 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 it's really brave. I'm like, yep, no worries. How can I help? And she's like, you can't help. I just wanted to tell you a story. I was like, oh, okay. Tells me a story about her husband, sales director husband, gregarious, fully in control, life and soul of the party sales director husband i'm like right she goes oh yeah you remind me you remind me a little bit of him and she's like here's the thing my husband had an enormous breakdown several years ago and he's never recovered because he left it too long too late he never asked for help in fact he just he did have a few episodes but he just soldiered on never stopped just went back to it kept going and going and going and it broke him it's broken him in fact i don't think he'll ever work again so well done for speaking up don't stop speaking now carry on was her wasn't even advice she was entreating me to please carry on follow this through yeah yeah actually that's a much better way of putting it (laughs) follow through follow through with what you started i'm like wow god i can't believe it didn't know very well we're not like super duper friends at that point we'd collaborate on some you know had a mutual professional respect and so on and so on we weren't friends in that in the in the yeah. way that that level of intimate sharing happens it's like god it's incredible i was honored actually humbled felt humbled to be told 
such deeply personal mm. and clearly painful stuff. And then the other chat was from a colleague who I knew much better, fun enough, because collaborated loads more. Um, but again, completely surprising turn of conversation because came into it saying, basically, thank you for sending it. I've had, I, I am having a rubbish time at the moment, really awful. Turned out there was some stuff going on at home that was bad. Bad things are happening at home, which, which bleeds into work. Yeah. As it it's does. interesting, isn't it? You can't I, separate I, one and you can't separate one from other, can you? No, but she led into it saying, I'm having a really stressful time at mm. work. Like that was the opening salvo. Yeah. As a result of what's happening at home. Yeah. Interesting conflation there. It's a work yeah. problem caused by home problems. Went on to say it was so bad that they, if it didn't get any better, that they knew how they were going to end it all permanently. Oh, They'd already God. already made that pact. The, the, the pact, the pact. And I was, I was like, holy shit, I'm not. What? I thought this was a conversation about a help number. Yeah. I'm not equipped to deal with this. Wow. So I just did my best and just tried to sort of listen and give some empathy. And it's like, oh, oh, my God, what, you know, how can I help? Um, it's awful. I should skip to the end, Warren, that, that we you know had a much longer chat and all the rest of it. And that we did end up talking about that helpline number more than once. Actually, we had a one yeah. or two conversations. And in the end, that person did seek some help externally, did seek the help that they need, did find the courage and the strength and the support to exit that desperately horrendous home situation i've seen them since and they are fine brilliant much happier good much happier but i was really struck just to finish that little chapter how is it they were more comfortable planning a permanent departure than calling the number that we'd been presented to more comfortable with that than speaking up and asking for help and what would have happened if I hadn't sent my email that day, don't know the answer, but it haunted yeah. me. You don't, yeah, you don't want to stop and think, do you? It haunted yeah. me because it wasn't too long after that that I was signed off sick for the rest of the year. <laughs> I... So, and was that just a, you know, was it? A, were you on this kind of slope then? I mean, obviously, you'd you'd had some a mini kind of breakdown. You'd you'd shared some of that. You'd done some of the right things. You'd phoned a helpline. What point did you realise that you couldn't continue as you were? You know, because you obviously did some, you did realise that and you did then take steps and you talk about being signed off, but, you know, that doesn't happen without you making some decisions personally, does it? Yes and no. So if I say, oh, yes, I took extra steps and I took control of my destiny and I realised I need to, that's really misleading because I didn't do any of those things for a few days. I just carried on. Right. Tried to tough it out because actually I felt slightly better for having kind of spoken, but 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 underneath that veneer, which was getting weaker and thinner and thinner and thinner, actually, um, like the metaphor that I quite because I like Marvel films, always have big, yeah. big kid really, and one of my faves was always Iron Man, and I, I like Tony Stark's pre-marriage persona of billionaire playboy, and I thought, oh yeah. yes, I, yes, I'd love to be a billionaire playboy, um. And he has his armor, doesn't he? Iron Man armor, and he keeps upgrading. It's got the Mark One, the Mark Two, the Mark Twenty Seven, the Mark Forty Five, and they always get more and more sophisticated and more and more powerful. And that resonates so much. In fact, I mean, you can't hear it on a podcast, but I'll show you, Warren. 
I've got Iron Man hand here. <laughs> he has. Which is, a, which is a desk. It's a desk lamp. My wife <laughs> is like, what is that hideous bit of tat? Why like, is that in our house? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Where's that going? I'm like, on my desk, in my office. She's like, God, I've got to look at that bit of ugliness. But it was a deliberate, deliberate choice because I, I had thought that strength and resilience was being polished wearing some people say wear a mask but for me yeah. it was a whole suit of armor yeah part of the performance like, part of the show yeah fake it till you make it yeah uh and if you if you live it convincingly enough it will become true and people will believe it of you and they did they did yeah. believe it and so was i trying to believe it too and i'd upgrade every time i had a knock i'd upgrade the armor yeah and lock it in even tighter and what was happening i didn't realize that the chinks in the armor as it were cracks and actually, the armor was was falling off. Yeah, falling apart. So in the in the few days where I just tried to upgrade it, power it up some more, wasn't yeah. working. Just kept falling apart. So a few more days on, and I ended up my cognitive functions had started to degrade quite seriously by then. So my attention span was starting to go. Short term memory was starting to go. As I would describe it, filters. My filters yeah. for deciding what to get worked up about and whatnot what's worthy of all of my focus what isn't filters yeah. they'd gone so i was responding to any stimulus in a kind of fight or flight sort of panic yeah manifesting with really high heart rate really high blood pressure like total focus and all of somebody had done would go do you know where the latest marketing collateral was inside i'm like oh my god where's that freaking out outside be like hmm let me see if I can help you with that. I'm trying to play it cool, but then they'd walk away from completely benign inquiry, and I'd look back at my notes, my death, my screens, multiple screens, and then loads of tabs open with all kinds of stuff, proposals and debriefs and emails and whatever it was, plans, spreadsheets, and my notebook full of actions. And I'd be like, "What was I doing a minute ago? Can't remember. Come on, just read your notes." And I'd stare at the notes, and they don't make sense anymore. Like I couldn't read them. I could read the individual words, but I couldn't string them together. My notes don't make sense. All right, I'll just look at something that's on the screen. Oh, that's, what was I doing? Mm. What wow. was I doing two minutes ago? Don't know. I do know that my heart's banging out my chest and I'm sweating, but I can't figure out what I was doing two minutes ago. And it got, that just yeah. got worse. I ended up walking into a benign meeting, participatory meeting. I don't have to do anything other than listen along with my team, but I could see them getting ground up because they felt like they had better things to do, more important things to do, which meant sell stuff. And I could see them getting annoyed. So that gave me this panicky fight or flight response. In fact, panic is the right word, because I've come to learn later, Warren, that I was having a panic attack, but not just that minute with that inquiry. I was living a panic attack pretty much since I started crying the week before. It was just getting more acute. Yeah, you just growing and growing and growing, growing. Day by day. I started having one yeah. and it just it was get I was getting more panicked because it was one attack because I wasn't listening I wasn't paying attention my body was going all right okay we're going to dial it up a notch then escalate this panicking. now yeah, yeah escalate. Crank it up. yeah escalate it because you're not listening and that's how it works the cognitive functions and all the rest of it and I've been drinking too much for ages and not paying attention to nutrition, not drinking water. I'd, just have, I'd have coffee all day, followed by booze, followed by maybe one glass of water late at night. So I sat in that meeting trying to breathe. Like the, the panic was 
reaching maximum level, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to puke. I'm going to freak out again. I'm not just going to start crying. I'm going to like scream. I think I'm going to scream, then faint, then puke, or in a different order. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to try and hold, I'm holding that in so tight, all I could do was breathe. But the only way to breathe was to really focus on it. And I'd read this book that my wife had got me the week before called The Stress Solution uh, by uh, Rangan Chatterjee. Well, I really liked it. It talks about micro stresses and all the rest. I was like, one or two pennies were starting to drop. But one of them was like the square breathing technique of inhale for a count of four, hold it for a count of four, exhale for a count of four, hold it for a count of four, repeat. So I repeated that for the whole meeting so that I didn't scream, puke, faint, yeah, whatever. At which point I was like, okay, if the only way to exist is to square breathe for an hour, think i'm gonna to have to face the idea that i'm not well you need to go and get some proper help but but the only thing i could do was square breathe so there's no other process thought process that i was capable of at that point other than to not lose my shit by square breathing wow. and so wandered back to my desk i say wandered i mean staggered staggered back to my desk with my hand dragging my hand along the wall so that i could make it like a, like a drunk person i actually wasn't drunk at work but it was like I was drunk, staggered down the office. Annoyingly, my desk was at the furthest end in an open plan office. So I'm getting one or two looks, I suspect. Well, I wasn't conscious mm. of that by then. Back to my desk, carried on, my head in my hands, at my desk, square breathing for another 45 minutes at least. Big open plan office. And I sit at the head of a desk upon which all of my teams sit. Mm. So people are going, uh, you're right, James, you're right. But by then, I couldn't speak anymore either. So I didn't have it in me to formulate a response to the question. So I lost the power of speech. I just sort of gasp and wave my hand at them with my head in my hands on my desk until I could lower my heart rate to a point where it wasn't jumping out my chest and I didn't feel like I was going to vom. And so people just started bringing me water and stuff. And at that point, I was like, okay, I can't be here. That, that's the, that's the extent yeah of, simplicity at yeah. the end of what it got to i don't know what the answer is i'm not i'm not all about oh i'll yeah. take this step and i'll take that step the only thing i knew is i can't be here yeah so i went home eventually and called the help line again because i'd already done it thank goodness yeah. by then and they gave me some options it took a few it took a good few days to be able to phone mind you yeah in pieces and um, they asked me if I'd like some therapy. And I thought, I'll try anything. Yeah. I have no idea. Don't ask me what I want. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how this works. I needed somebody to tell me. In fact, no, I luckily had my wife who went, go to the doctor. And my instant reply was, no, don't want to. Don't want to go to the doctor. Why not? Because I'm a middle-aged man that always says no to doctors. Because that's yeah. just. That's just what we do. Don't make a fuss. Be all right. She made me go to the doctor. The doctor looked at me, probably took him less than 60 seconds to go, uh, you're having a massive anxiety attack. Here's some tablets. I don't want tablets. I want help. Yeah, that way I really, really didn't want tablets. I knew, I didn't know what I did want, but I know I didn't want that. That's, that's a whole other story where I'm going to another time about my brother who's been ill since he's about 15. Right. I saw what a just have some tablets response did for him. So my response was not because I think that tablets aren't the 
part of the solution. I think they are actually, but I was totally driven by fear and ignorance at that point. So I instinctively said, no, I think suspect it probably would have helped me quite a lot if I hadn't been so afraid of them. I'm much less afraid now, I know more about it. So it was good that somebody made me go to the doctor. It's good that I had the facility with work to provide, had therapy provided. So if I'd had to wait on an NHS waiting list, I'd still have been waiting eight months yeah. later. And things got much worse for me for a couple of weeks, say couple, few, to be able to answer a question like, do you want a cup of tea at home? And my wife goes, do you want a cup of tea? and get you anything? And I'll just stare at her because I didn't have the capability to answer the question. It was too complex a question. Do I want a cup of tea? So I just gape at her, realised that I couldn't answer it, didn't know how to answer it, didn't have the equipment. Then I'd be scared again and then embarrassed and then afraid and then I would cry again. So my response to any question for several weeks was just to cry, then go to bed. And eventually I rested sufficiently and, you know, yeah. didn't wasn't drinking then. I had at least made that connection. <laughs> Mate, Work that one out for yourself. <laughs> yeah, don't get wasted every day, especially yeah. at home. By which time I, I must have begun therapy by then, which I, I ended up doing it, choosing a face-to-face one because yeah. you do Zoom or telephone, you know, there's lots of options. Uh, I think you do have AI therapy now as well, but I didn't fancy that. And I went went to see Natasha, the therapist yeah. up the road. And uh, she, in session number one, you fill in some sort of questionnaire almost, really, you ask some standard questions, have a chat. And, she, and one of the questions is, what do you want from this? And uh, I said, well, I just, I want to understand it. I want to understand how it is I could get so wound up at work that I lose my short-term memory and attention span and feel dreadful. Mm. I want to understand it and I want the pain to go away. I just don't want to hurt like this anymore. And the, the order of that is quite important, Warren, because the first thing I said was I want to understand it, mm. which meant I want to control it. If I understand yeah, it, I can control it. control nature of your personality kicking straight back in, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And she looked at me and said, James, I can explain it to you, the physiology of it, in about three minutes. What I think you're saying is that you want to understand it so you can control it. Yeah. And you won't be able to. So we're not going to do that. Because if that's what you want from this, this isn't going to work. If you want this to work, you're going to have to talk about things honestly. And it might be difficult, but that's the yeah. only way this is going to work. So what do you want? I went, oh, I want the pain to go away. And she went, okay. And it was really good that she did that because I was trying to, I, I tried yeah. to squeeze my armor back on, is what had happened. I yeah, picked up all the bits. Kind of version 46 was there. And yeah, yeah, luckily. We stepped back into it. Yeah. Yeah, I still had one in the cupboard. Yeah. I squeezed myself into it, ill fitting as it was, and thought she won't notice because I'm so good at projecting. I've got my armor on. She saw through it like it was transparent. <laughs> and she was basically saying to me, no, mate, yeah. not having it. Yeah. Not having it. You're either going to take your armor off and we're going to do this thing or you can just go somewhere else, yeah. which I needed. I needed that direct, yeah, needed that strength no bullshit. And a professional to turn around and do that. Yeah. I know how this is going to work and it's going to work this way, not your way. So get involved. I was like, oh, I was simultaneously, shit, she's seen through me. So obvious. I thought I was doing a great job, but also, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. I really, that armor just does not fit now. Doesn't fit me. I don't want to put it on. And she went, not allowed to. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. Thank you. 
Um, and then an enormous amount of talking happened, an enormous amount of crying happened as I gradually be able to, started to sort of unpack wow. 30 odd years worth of just cramming things in and locking them down, putting them in a box, pick metaphor of choice, piling heavy weights on top of the box so that it didn't yeah. burst out. And she was like, no, no, we're going to unpack that box. Un open your filing cabinet. We're going to take some files out and we're going to talk about them gradually because it did get worse before it got better but gradually i was a little bit a little bit calmer a little bit better just in small pieces sometimes it felt worse sometimes it felt better but over time the the very the the downward was, curve yeah, yeah. Uh, basically i've bottomed out i guess i'd hit my my version of rock bottom and then we sort of bimbled along the rocky uh the rocky bottom seabed yeah. <laughs> seabed that's what that word. <laughs> the seabed and gradually started to come up again with if you know does it you trip into a little chasm again trying, yeah. oh no oh if it was oh. but you know your your exit point was it was a slightly higher than the entry point to that little dip that week yeah and as you, you zoom, i zoomed back out and i started to go oh yeah i can now answer whether or not i want a cup of tea yeah Ah, so tiny improvements over time. So I learned to talk. I was, I was saying now, that whole process was me learning to talk. Obviously, I've been speaking for years, but it was learning to talk for the first time openly and honestly about difficult stuff and experience mm-hmm. the power of what it is to be listened to by someone unbiased, without an agenda. And you do state quite openly, even in your LinkedIn profile, that learning to talk openly, honestly, and without fear. And I love that term without fear, um, saved your life. So why do you think so many of us don't talk and share openly without fear? That's I think that's for anything that I'm about to say is just my opinion, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not yeah. gonna give you facts about anything. It's just my perception of it. But I think, um, our, the way that we live and our society and the devices that we have and technology and so on and so on. Uh, somebody told me not long ago that comparison is the thief of joy. I love that as a phrase. Comparison, the thief of joy. I right? spend an awful lot of time comparing mm. ourselves to other people or comparing ourselves to the version of ourselves that we want to be, but comparing ourselves against something. And I'm just not convinced that what we're comparing ourselves to exists. We're seeing versions of stuff on social media, in the media, online, on Facebook, someone's Facebook holiday pictures. They only show you the good stuff. They don't show you the row in the car with the kids. Yeah. As you're trying to get to the airport, or if you get to an airport, as you're trying to drive up the M1 and no. yeah, everything's kicking off. No, nobody puts that on social media, do they? Of course not, but you don't step back. You, you yeah. go, oh, look at everyone else's perfect life. Look at yeah. what's expected of me. Nobody's having fun. Oh, yeah. So I need to be that because that's what good looks like. And, you know, motivational yeah. things of be the best you, be the best you that you can. Smashing life. Hashtag. Yeah. All this stuff. God, that's difficult. So how, how am I supposed to admit to anybody that I'm not that? Even on my bestest, best day, unless I've applied loads of filters on Instagram, I don't look like that. Yeah. I never yeah. have. Whatever looking like that is. So where am I supposed to say so? Well, I can't say it on social media. Yeah. Everyone's so time poor. In my life stage, all of my mates, well, most of them, you know, got kids and stuff. Yeah. 
So you have these snatched moments together, crammed in. Oh, we haven't seen each other for ages. Oh, we're so shit at being friends. Oh, no. So let's maximize our time now to make it super fun. So when do you casually go, how are you really? Yeah. Oh, never, particularly in a group, because then somebody, oh, that's a bit awkward. Yeah, here comes a bit of banter. (laughs) Oh, let's make a joke and move on. Never happens. I'm like, well, so so where's the role? And where's the role modeling? Where did I learn this from? Yeah. From my parents' generation, stuff that isn't talked about. No, you don't talk about that stuff. At school, Hmm. you know, what's the role? What's the male role modeling at school? Well, that's schoolmasters then, isn't it? When did you yeah. talk about stuff then? Well, never. Um, where's the role modeling from my friends? But we're all as bad as each other, so there's yeah. very little there too. And then at work, where's the role modeling at work? Well, the role modeling there was, um, we love it when you say yes. We love it when you take on more stuff. We love it when you project confidence and control. So I'd learned the virtue of yes, and I'd learned the virtue of the presentation of what they liked of me because they kept reinforcing it. Yeah, rewarding they, you for it. Exactly. Um, this feedback loop. So where was the role modeling where somebody goes, oh, no, I'm not just not feeling it today. Yeah. I can't do it. I'm really, I feel really insecure about this. I don't know if I've got it in me. I'm just really tired. Could we just talk? Yeah. yeah could we just talk. And what does that mean anyway? Well, conversation, I feel differently about it now, but a conversation usually was that thing where you're waiting for your turn. Fancy having a chat? Oh, yeah, I'd love to have a chat. Oh, great chat. And you just wait for your turn because you've thought of something clever to say. And you just wait for them to draw breath. Mm. And then you You're dive into that. Yeah. That's not it's my turn now. <laughs> and that's, I think that's what most talking is most of the time, waiting for your turn, which is not the same as listening. Because you're thinking of what you're going to say rather than, oh, yeah. oh, tell me more about that. It's extremely difficult to do, listening. And it's a skill. That you, have, that you can learn and i yeah. well i'm still in the process of learning it since i retrained to be a professional performance coach i've, mm. I've had done a diploma and a great deal a great deal of that <laughs> course was learning how to listen actually say less i've even got an acronym for it that i printed off because i was so bad at interrupting and jumping in with my solutioneering don't worry I, i've got exactly the answer for you um, and yeah, I, I learned it from somebody else, it's not mine. Uh, and it's wait, W-A-I-T, wait. Why am I talking? I love it. Because yes. I still want to do it now. I, love, I, you know, <laughs> I, I want to jump in because you want to help people and they yeah. want to help you. So that it's with the best, it comes from love, but I've really found extraordinary actually of the many, many, many things that I'm super grateful for of what I've learned in the last couple of years. I didn't love the learning. <laughs> As in, I didn't love the, didn't love the mechanism. To, that's back to doing your A levels, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a load of stuff about that. Let me assure you, what drove me to some of this this mania to overachieve definitely comes from cocking up A levels and the shame that I felt. Okay. Um, but it is trans. This this talking that I've done to people, honestly, when somebody says, "How are you?" I tend to tell them the truth, not, not at an enormous length. The decision I make is. How much of it am I going to, how long am I going to, how long is my answer going to be? But if I don't feel yeah. great, I'm not going to say so anymore. I'll be like, mm, no, not so much. But I've never regretted starting to speak up. I mean, apart from that sender's remorse, I, I felt yeah. like I was going to regret that for a while. But in the long term, I haven't, clearly haven't. No, it's I've got just, you from A to B. It's, it's part of the destination you've, and journey you've now been on, isn't it? Oh, it really has. And I, I, I have no beef with my former self. Like, I don't hate who I was. 
Yeah. It served us really well for a time. I didn't know any better, but I like the, I like this me better. And it is, uh, I can honestly say, speaking up and continuing to do so has improved every relationship I have that's meaningful to me. Okay. Every single one of them. What does your wife think to you now? <laughs> I was talking about A-levels, funny enough, and this realisation I'd had of how much of my behaviour was driven by trying to make it up to my dad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and how that how that had played how that had played out for me in numerous proposals that I'd been asked to do and tender processes and how angry I used to get at really constricted criteria. And actually I was just trying to protect myself because I was really saying I'll, I'll probably fuck it up. I'll probably mess it up like my A levels. So I'm just not gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna make up loads of reasons why I'm not gonna do it that are all about how stupid the client is or how stupid the process is. I'm just gonna lean out of it because I'm so afraid of cocking it up again. And so I was t- saying this to my wife. And only just sort of, we were having a walk in the park and she just stopped in her tracks and looked at me. I was like, what? What's the matter? She goes, this is like my second marriage. What do you mean? She's like, it's like I've got married again to a guy that looks like you and is largely you, but it's not you. This is different. You're different. I've never, ever heard this stuff from you ever before. I've been together 20 years. I was like, ooh. How are you enjoying this second marriage? Yeah, of yours? Is that a good thing? Yes, <laughs> I hope it is. It is. A, <laughs> is it a good thing? And she's like, no, it's uh, yeah, amazing. It's better. It's better. I just I know you better in the last couple of years than in you know the previous eighteen or so. So it's a bit better. It's, it's way better having a teenage daughter and learning how to listen to a teenage daughter. That's a whole level of challenge in itself. So my weight acronym is deployed at least weekly. <laughs> with her because she didn't ask for a solution she didn't ask for advice and we've been jumping in as parents in a jiffy at seven o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night bit tired banging a solution in she hadn't asked for yeah off you go <laughs> yeah we're like why don't you just do it this way i know what the answer is it's oh it's your the friendship issue is always with that person at the epicenter i don't know why you just don't do blah 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 and she gets super cross about it we'd be like why are you getting cross oh, this is the answer it's obviously the answer and now we're having a big row. All she wanted to do was get some stuff off her chest and process it verbally. And we didn't know that. So we just made it worse all the time. And now, <laughs> interestingly, oh, aren't I this guru of listening now? No, definitely not. That's why I have to print <laughs> off, wait, and stick it on my wall. Because I forget constantly, especially when you're tired. But it's made an enormous difference to, as I say, to all of the relationships that I value. It has improved. It has changed some relationships quite a bit. Mm. Relationships that I thought perhaps were very important. But I look at them now and go, well, actually, it's natural for relationships to change over time, isn't it? You can't grip onto everybody forever. So I'm left with the ones that I really, really care about. And they're better. Yeah. And those that care about you, James. Yes. (laughs) They they stuck with me this far. They deserve, deserve some recognition for that obviously your we've talked about your definition historically of resilience mm. but what's your definition of resilience now through everything you've learned and the journey you've been on so if resilience before meant wearing armor and it meant repelling attack and deflecting it and not being impacted by difficulty if that's what it meant to me before and i also thought that it happened all by itself it was just there. It was just a, it was just an entity mm. rather than a resource. I now think my my personal resilience is a resource. 
and the resource needs to be topped up and uh, fed or nourished is perhaps a better word in order to be resilient i need to nourish it which means doing well-being stuff but being conscious of it too so it's now my resilience is now i think something that it is my ability to react to difficulty as opposed to my ability to deflect difficulty deflect and ignore was how i thought of it before and now it's how do i react to it because it always affected me really i just wasn't looking Mm. so i'm like okay it's affecting me in order to be resilient to difficulty and goodness knows we're still surrounded by difficulty step one for me is notice notice it don't hide it don't crush it down notice it first if you're feeling a bit crap notice it if you're feeling a bit insecure or you know i'm doing these talks now i'm delivering talks about my story to former clients and other interested parties and i've I've realized it's really draining. It's really draining to talk so openly about painful stuff in front of 80 people on Mm -hmm. Zoom. It's really draining. I now know in order to be resilient to the drain, the cost, if you like, the cost, the personal cost to me. Yes, they're paying me and that's lovely, but there's still a a cost. I have to charge up first. I have to go, okay, I know there's going to be a cost. So what am I going to do to make sure I'm fueled, perhaps, adequately fueled and... I mean, it's super basic. Am I rested? Have I eaten? And have I had some water? Yeah. And then there was a, I can say aftermath. That sounds a bit too dramatic. The after effects. I know they're going to be there. So what am I going to do if I'm stepping outside of my comfort boundary, which I definitely am. It's uncomfortable to talk about this stuff. If I'm choosing to step out of it, I need to choose to step back, step back into my comfortable area. And what needs to be there? rest food hydration usually for me it means going for a walk or chatting to a friend or going back to um quite often thor ragnarok one of the finest marvel films ever made (laughs) um i have to go back to that so it's it's something to be nourished and maintained it's i I don't just have it as a birthright the invincibility of youth don't you don't just come with impenetrable armor that just runs all by itself you have to notice things and nourish them consciously or try to do that just for turning to your story you're obviously a coach now and we'll come on to discuss that and and why you're coaching others now but Mm. was there a point in time where you were you're obviously seeking help you're getting the therapy you've been really honest in sharing that with our listeners was there an attempt to return to your old world you know to corporate life to that sales environment and if so what was the outcome of that? Yeah, there definitely was. So I'd realised that if and I didn't realise by myself, I was I was helped by my wife saying, "Never ever go back there. They've made you super ill. I hate them." So I was definitely some some. That's guy. a natural kind of thing for a loving wife to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing slightly. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, they they they're not the villain of the piece. Um, they were paying my salary all the time mm-hmm. that I was off work and they didn't have to legally speaking, morally, that's a different question, but they, they, they were choosing to do so. And I, I was, and am grateful for that, but I had, I was running a really successful team and all the time that I was off, no one was running that team. Somebody else had to step in. So I was becoming aware that that was probably a problem. They probably wanted some resolution. And I was also aware I didn't want to go back and be a sales director again because it's going to sound a bit melodramatic, but I suspect it would have killed me. 
Mm. Not immediately, but I wasn't self-aware enough and hadn't learned enough to be able to operate in that world anymore with pressure and targets and, and all the rest of it without becoming... Without becoming really ill again, I think the third time would would do me in because there was a first time that saw me in A and E in the year before, which I haven't even mentioned because right. because I, I did such <laughs> a good job at pretending that it was nothing. But that you know, I'd had two episodes actually, um, and the third one would be that not the charm would be the end of mm. me. So okay, I've, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I'm going to resign from that role. So I go in and talk to my boss in one of our check-ins, HR were there and they're saying, so James, how are you getting on? I was like, listen, guys, um, I'm going to step off this role and you should, you should move on without me because, you know, my team needs support. They need looking after. And I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not coming back to that role. And they're like, okay, I understand. That's a real shame, James, that I, you know, said lovely things. Um, but, you know, good for you if that's what you're happy with. I said, yes, I am. And they said, okay, well, do you want, what do you want to do then? I don't know, <laughs> but I know that I, I know that I don't want to have no job. And I also know I didn't say this at the time, but I also know I'm not really capable of working at the moment. And here you are showing me loads of goodwill. So when they say, do you want to stay in my heart and head? I'm screaming, no, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, but the practical part of me says, oh, yes, please. I will stay. And they say, what do you want to do? I don't know. Um, and we talked about my skill set and so on and so forth. I was always really good at selling things. And I was very good at describing how I did it. And I was very good at training people in those skills. Clearly, I've been doing that for my own team and for other parts mm. of the business before I became ill. So we just kind of formalized that and said, OK, why don't you be a, a, a coach then? Why don't you be a sales coach? I thought, OK, that sounds all right. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. like I haven't got the pressure I had as being a sales director. I'll be a sales coach for the I'll company. Be a, I'll be a coach. I'll help other people. That's lovely. And I was very keen to bring a whole load of well-being kind of knowledge and experience. I'd learned loads, obviously, mm. uh, along the way. I was keen to bring that into the business and try to use it positively. And how the role developed actually was in my imagination, it was going to be 70% wellness, well-being and so on, mm-hmm. and 30% sales coaching. And they had a rather different idea. And the phrase, uh, if I could do air quotes over the air, um, the phrase, <laughs> the business isn't ready. The business isn't ready for that. So what we'll understand is a role whereby you, you directly affect the bottom line via sales. They'll understand that, but they're not ready for the well-being stuff, you know. Um, so you can do a bit of that, and it ended up being like five percent or something. Right, marginal. Yeah, yeah, super marginal. Boat games is what they were saying. Uh, very much so, and I was very keen not to rock the boat because rocking meant I'd definitely fall into shark-infested waters of no job. Yeah. So I was like, okay, we'll go for it. Fine. I was just grateful, really, to have a job. Yeah. Um started out by this time where are we now uh, i've been off for the best part of a year this is now the end of 2019 i probably resigned from sales director role in august august september and then we started talking about a phased return and uh, okay. i had a couple of false starts where i pretended that i was ready for it and i totally wasn't um so to all intents and purposes it's january i 
I, I went back into the office once or twice in December, um, which was really hard actually, Warren, because I, mm. I hadn't realised, but when I tried to do it, I'd actually become viscerally afraid of Ealing, of the, right. whole, of, uh, the whole of the W5 postcode, right. which in my attempt to go there a couple of times, I, had, I would freak out about halfway there as I got closer to the epicentre of the trauma. And rep- turn around. Represented by my office, and I would crumble and have to go back. So it actually took, took me quite a long time, incrementally, to build up the stamina or I want to say resilience, really, but that's not quite doing it for me. The courage, definitely. The mental courage, really, I suppose, to face that environment again, even though yeah. you weren't going into that role. That was where... Even so, the trauma of it was so acute, I couldn't go to Ealing. It was ridiculous, as it turns out. Was, was that a fear of stigma, do you think, as well? No, I near as sophisticated as thinking it through that far. It wasn't a rational, it wasn't a thinking thing. It was like... Yeah. I'm terrified of Ealing. I can't go there. Right. And it would start at Kew Bridge. Ealing's is a better part of London as well. <laughs> well, it's nice, actually. <laughs> Ealing's quite nice. Um, you can say that now, can you? <laughs> yes. I've since been back. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. I also was not quite in quite such an acute way, but I also was uh, had a, a visceral reaction to my work laptop. The first couple of times I opened it, I was like, oh, I'm going to vom just by these trigger objects, places wow. and objects triggered me so hard, I thought I was going to puke. So I had to acclimat- acclimatise, maybe that's the better yeah. re-acclimatise myself with the location of my meltdown. Uh, nevertheless, I did that. Took a while, but did it through plenty of help from the therapist and some, yeah. some planning. Um, and so it began. So I began my phase return, practically speaking, in January. January 2020 and uh, that meant for me having the ability to do it about an hour a week that was the beginning one hour right and those hours initially were go to office exist in office say hi to a couple of people and then go home utterly exhausted and go back to bed and try and do it again the following week for an hour and a half or two hours it's a bit of a slow start bit of a slow start there nevertheless got into the rhythm and i just spent quite a lot of time going for walks with people because i still didn't really want to be in the office it still wasn't a good place for me to yeah. be so i'd say oh hi new people or perform a team or however it was let's go for a lovely walk in the park let's have a chat yeah have a chat get to know some people who are strangers and re-get to know some former colleagues and um, the idea was that i'd be given four people per quarter my charges to take them under my wing and accelerate their sales. That's what it was called. Sales acceleration coach, which is okay. rather, rather different connotations from just sales coach. Yeah. Sales acceleration coach. Like by then I was, as I say, yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Sounds yeah. good. Um, didn't work out that well in the beginning, largely because I was still quite crap at being a dealing. Um, mm. But people didn't volunteer for it. They didn't choose to have their sales accelerated. They were chosen. Yeah. So what they heard was great news. James is going to help you with your sales. But what they felt was terrible news. Your sales are shit. Yeah. 
yeah. and the infamous uh, James, who that you remember that guy who was the best salesperson in Europe uh, with immense success track record, is now back mysteriously from wherever he's been. Nobody yeah. explained where I'd been or why. He's now back to accelerate your sales. So, of course, what they thought is that their sales must therefore be far too slow. And yet they're working really hard. So that's confusing. Yeah. Um, so what I received was these terrified people that didn't want to be there. Yeah. And You're actually, thinking it's the last chance saloon type yeah, of thing. They thought it was a performance improvement program in disguise. And what they didn't know initially is that I didn't want to be there either. So we've got two people that don't want to be there doing yeah. this. So it's not, it's not, uh, wasn't exactly a heady combination built for success. So uh, that was really difficult. Also, I, my confidence was rock bottom still. I didn't know if I could do it at all, let alone well. Um, mm. So when I'd say, oh, you know, good morning, person X, how are you? They'd look at me. Viewers, you can't see my wide-eyed um, yeah. deer in headlights impression, but... Um, They'd look at me terrified, and I, and I'd think, oh God, they don't—it's me, it's me. They don't want to be here because of me, and it wasn't that at all. They thought they were going to fail the program and get sacked. So mm. I'd go, how are you? And they go, fine, thanks. How are you? And I'd go, uh, yeah, not that good actually. This, I'm not enjoying this at all. I'm really scared. It took all my energy to get to Ealing and just exist here for a bit, and I'm going to have to go home and go to bed for at least a couple of hours and recover from the effort. And um, I'm quite frightened all the time. So not great. And they'd be like, oh, oh, wasn't expecting that. Not expecting that. And then I'd say, anyway, how are you? Again, how are you really? Reminding me of what my colleague had done all those months yeah. ago. How are you really? So I tried to pay that forward. And then because I'd opened up everything, and told them the truth about how I was feeling, they would felt slightly safer to do the same. So they'd tell me how they were, and uh, guess what? Not very well. No. They were having not a very nice time. And then I'd go, oh, dear, what's going on? And they'd tell me, and it was invariably almost nothing to do with work at Root Cause. It mm. would be stuff that's going on around them in their lives and at home and whatever. And I'd be like, wow, no wonder work's tough. That sounds awful. I'm amazed that you've you've lasted this long. I'm amazed that you can exist in this mm. space, let alone succeed. Well done. So largely, I just feel really privileged to have this conversation and be trusted like that. And I would tell them that because it was true. And we talked for a little while. And at the end, we're like, yeah, listen, we've got, they are paying us after all. We probably should talk about work <laughs> things. Um, so we'd have a little chat at the end. I'd go, what's bothering you at work now? And they'd go, oh, my God, so many things. I'd say, fine, what's the one that's bothering you the most? And they'd say, I've no idea. It's so many things. Okay, well, you know, I, I'm only capable of doing one one thing at a time. So if you could only do one of those many things, which one would you tackle first? Yeah. What's, the, what's the most burdensome item? And they'd always be able to find that. I'd say, fine, how are you going to do it? And they'd go, I don't know, I don't know. And I'd say, oh, I didn't say give me a, a perfect answer. Just like, well, what are you going to try? Was, how do you think you might do it then? Mm. And we'd have a chat about that. And invariably, what they suggested is pretty good because they're all competent, diligent people, fundamentally, yeah. all had skills. Um, uh, so I'd say, fine, what else? What else are you going to do? What's missing? 
who else should be involved, et cetera, et cetera. And they tell me and I agree and go, okay. Not because I was pretending because they were all good ideas. They, <laughs> they had them all already. Um, and I would ask them if they wanted help or if they wanted advice. And if they didn't ask for either of those, I wouldn't give them either of those. I just would say at the end, you're coaching on you. How do you feel about doing that thing now? And they go, oh, less bad than before. Dare I say sometimes, okay or fine or good. Then they go and do it. Yeah. And we talk again a week later, perhaps, or maybe sooner. And I go, hi, how are you? No, no, really. So we'd have a how are you really chat again, because that's just how we got into the habit of starting yeah. off with that. Clear the decks. How are you really? Fine. How'd that thing go? And invariably, people, it would have gone far better than they thought. Yeah. Either less disastrous or had a much better outcome. Or it was just different. It definitely wasn't worse. And it definitely wasn't bothering them in the way that it was before. And they'd look me in the eye with huge gratitude and say, thank you so much for your advice. It was amazing. And I'd say, I didn't give you any. Because I didn't. didn't just give listen. Yeah, yeah, I just gave them some space to let out some stuff. And the, the, like the heads, like the metaphor I'd like for that is a snow globe. Everyone's head's shaken up like crazy and all of the thoughts are flowing around and you can't see what's at the centre because of this flurry. That's what, certainly what COVID and lockdown and stuff is delivering. Hmm. And all I gave them was a, like a really flat surface to put the snow globe on, yeah. let everything settle, and then say, what's in the middle of that? What, what do you want to tackle? Yeah. So I didn't do anything other than give them that. So that sounds like you're having a really positive effect on the team. I loved it, Warren. It was amazing. It was a real privilege. Unfortunately, I couldn't correlate a strong causal line between how are you really chats yeah. and accelerating sales. So uh, two lots of me willfully ignoring all of my objectives for as a sales acceleration drill sergeant and add in COVID and lockdown and some yeah. furloughing, then add in the sharpened pencils of the accounts team who are looking at who is this guy anyway he's super expensive for somebody that's willfully ignoring his objectives um he needs to be culled along with right. some other people and i saw it coming and it turns out seeing redundancy coming for me anyway had absolutely no bearing on how hurt i was and rejected and scared for my future and like a stiff breeze the mists of my slowly growing confidence blew away in a flash. I was like, crap, I haven't got a job now. And I really love that coaching thing, but that's and not what, what they wanted from me. Yeah. And what, what am I going to do now? Yeah, yeah. What am I going to do? So, so was, that's scary. So that was what this time last year, 12, 15 months ago. Yes. Uh, like yeah, so when was I last? It's coming out for a year, yeah, 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 that's okay. right. So, so I, my last day, my last day as a paid employee was the 28th of November last year. Okay. Had some gardening leave and whatnot, according yeah. to my leave period and so on and so forth. So, yeah, last November was my last so, ever day. But you clearly enjoyed doing the coaching piece. Mm. So you went out and got some coaching education. Yeah, I went back to the therapist first, which I haven't okay. been to for a while. Turns out COVID and being furloughed and being made redundant 
was fairly turbulent. So my snow, <laughs> my snow globe head had been yeah. shaken up a fair bit and I hadn't been to her for a while. It was only because I was talking to a friend. He said, oh, how's it going? And I, actually, I was advocating therapy, funnily enough. And he said, oh, do you, are you still going to yours then, expectantly? And I went, oh, no, I'm not. And he was like, why not? You've just been going to London <laughs> and COVID and furloughed and all that jazz. I was like, oh, yeah, God, why not? I mean, really, why not? Why have I yeah. not gone back? That's crazy. Um, pardon the expression, given the topic. Because mm. um, I've got a 30-year habit of not talking up and asking for help, a 30-year habit of not asking for help with stuff because I, um, I just slipped back into wanting to solve it all by myself. And believing it will be fine. Yeah. And uh, I've forgotten. Sounds silly. Forgotten yeah. how helpful it was. Uh, so I went back and um, it was it was really lovely to go back, actually, and just explore it again Yeah, uh, and play it out. And she was like, ooh, did what she was great at. She would tell me what my body was telling her as well as my words. Mm. And she could see the energy with the coaching bit and see the slump and darkness of drill sergeant selling accelerator. Yeah. Uh, she unusually suggested something, which is very uncommon in a therapy session, but I said, well, go, why don't you go and learn more about that coaching stuff then? I was like, ooh, I hadn't thought of that. It's a great idea. Um, actually, what I really thought and what I said at the time was, my how could i possibly go and be a coach i i have nothing to offer as a coach i've just been made redundant nobody loves me the imposter syndrome was shouting loud that day mm -hmm. she went that's not what i said i said go and learn more about it you don't have to be one but i think you'll learn you'll enjoy the experience and you'll learn about yourself and she was dead right uh so it was fantastic uh i'd already learned to talk but I'd never really been trained to listen. And that's largely what the coaching qualification was actually a framework, but the core skill of listening clearly embedded throughout everything that we did. So when you stop and think about the journey you've been on, yep. the process you've been through, how you've changed and shaped yourself as an individual, you know, with all of that help and love and support of those around you and from seeking professional help, is there anything that, you feel that you still do that triggers the old habits hmm it's i am at any given day probably as capable of slipping back into those old habits as i ever was and it's ironic really the better the better things are going for me the more likely i am to slip back in okay and when i say better let me be really clear i'm, I'm really talking about when i'm being booked to do a talk or some some people off off the back of some initial conversations have come in and said okay yes please james I, I, i'd love for us to work together and my temptation is to listen to all the voices that say make hay while the sun shines yeah. now is the time <laughs> come on fill your diary it won't last forever and um, that voice can get pretty loud pretty quick so i i, I have to really pay attention to that and so what mechanisms have you got because that's quite helpful for, for our listeners i would assume you know what mechanisms have you got to make sure that you don't let that voice take over well one of them is really simple it's now it's going to sound like an advert for professional coaching um i even though i am one 
I'm no more equipped to follow my own guidelines and advice than anybody else. Yeah. It's really, really hard to see yourself with clarity. So I book in with one of my coaching pals uh, about once a month, regardless of whether I need any coaching on yeah. stuff. Because funnily enough, a great place to find out whether you need some help or anything is to have some coaching just yeah. to see if there's anything. Yeah. And for me, there always is something. There's always something that's been rolling around in my head that's been bothering me more than I realized. And if I let it roll like a snow snowball, it will grow into something bigger. So monthly check-ins is one. Uh, perhaps even more significant than that, now that I think about it, it's expressing what's on my mind somehow. Express okay. it. Um, better out than in, as it were. Yeah. As it turns out for me, it doesn't really matter particularly how that expression happens. So it might be a conversation or it might be written. I, I quite like writing what I'm thinking in LinkedIn. And the, the act of getting it out of my mind yeah. uses, I'm, I'm not an expert, you'll have, you'll have more expert guests than me on this, but uses a different part of your brain than thinking. And for it to come out of the funnel of your mouth, as it were, thoughts need to be ordered. Otherwise, it would just be garbled yeah. nonsense. So in order to turn it into a coherent sentence, your brain has to organize the thoughts into a coherent string. And in so doing, particularly like having a conversation with you, I, I'm hearing myself say it. And in hearing it, I'm understanding it more clearly for the first time than if it just been swirling yeah, around in my snowball. It's just swirling in around in your, using your metaphor, getting your snowball. Yeah. Mm. So there's two things right there. Actually, they're really similar, aren't they? Yeah. Talk to a coach. Express it. So talking. <laughs> yeah talking um and then i've got some diary things that i do so it's gonna perhaps sound a little bit self-indulgent or definitely my old self would have called it self-indulgent but i block out 12 till 2 p.m is every day is blocked okay 12 till 2 because i know that i'd need to eat something in the middle of the day and drink and rest and do something yeah. so in order to uh decide to work within that block i have to choose to do it yeah because it's blocked it's a so conscious to, decision you manage your diary because yeah. i have to unblock it i have to go into my diary open up that event shrink the time down and put something in and that discipline forces me to consider do i actually want to do it yeah do or is actually... my own personal well-being more important right i have to make that choice i have to choose to sacrifice my well-being time for that thing and sometimes i choose to do it because mm. i deem it important enough but i can't automatically do it that's the point but quite right and my other discipline which i do uh, can very easily fail at or, or forget or get wrong is to not do back-to-backs ever of any sort back to back to back to back all day i just don't do it unless it's exceptional I wish I'd learned that lesson. You can <laughs> That's have my that takeaway, for... listeners. <laughs> you can have that for free. Um, and I use, a, I use an app, actually, a, a meeting booking app, okay. which is a, a revelation from a friend of mine, changed his business model completely, uh, called, I mean, there are, and other apps do exist, I'm sure, um, called Calendly, Calendly. And in that, you can set buffers. So you can get yeah. links that you can send out to people, and you set rules underneath it, whereby 
no no two consecutive slots can be booked without a buffer that you set so uh if i've got if i i've got two or three of them if i've got a half hour one yeah i have a buffer of 15 minutes so my diary can never have 30 minute 30 minute 30 minute 30 minute book to back and if i've got an hour meeting that i'm putting out there i'll i'll do at least half an hour buffer i can choose to break them i can choose to slot things into yeah. the gaps but i have to choose to do it it's conscious again isn't yeah. it you're again you're you know what you're doing you're not doing it unconsciously and for me that's i've set boundaries for myself and i am allowed to break my own boundaries because they're me mm. if i was imagining it it's not like um it's not like one of those trump walls in <clears throat> across the border of mexico um mine's more like a sort of three foot hedge yeah so it's it's a soft boundary and i i can step over my hedge but i have to choose to do it and if i'm choosing to step outside of my boundary i need to, i'm just remembering to step back in again but you've got your systems and your processes that allow you to step back in quite easily haven't you because you've got the rules set in canadaly you you're 12 till 2 you've set the boundaries generally so you step mm. back into that routine quite which is i think is some really good tips and advice i also wanted to explore because again listeners people working as business leaders business owners probably don't always have a consistent relationship with alcohol and you've been honest to say that in this conversation about where you were yep. so i suppose how much do you i'm going to use the wrong word but blame or feel that alcohol contributed to the situation in which you found yourself and what is your relationship with alcohol now don't mind me asking i don't mind at all um i still i still like a drink i've probably cut my consumption by something like 75 percent i haven't actually measured it i haven't done a drinking diary no. um gut feel gut feel a, a bit like my diary actually i the way that i manage that a little bit better now is i, I used to with a keen eye for a bargain go oh well, i'll just buy the whole case because per unit it's a bit cheaper and then i've got plenty mm -hmm. of beers in that's great or i'll buy you know a great big case of wine or whatever yeah. it is um i think i really try and avoid doing that now unless maybe a party different but just casually i'll just buy to order as it were um yeah how many how many drinks do i want today what sort of occasion is it what's reasonable for me two or three yeah. So I'll buy two or three. Um, and I used to, you know, those big bottles that you get, because I like beers, yeah. beer, gin, everyone loves gin. Well, I do. Um, and, and wine, but beers is my sort of go to, oh, quick beer, quick beer. And they moved a while ago to those big jumbo like Peronis or Heineken's or whatever it was. Yeah. And they're 660 mils instead of 330. So I used to buy 660s. However many units, however many bottles of 660s, because yeah. I'm a fool for marketing <laughs> in the supermarket. Which means I'll, I'll, the first one's fine, great. But then if I'm like, mm, I quite fancy a bit more, I have to open another one. And I'm, all, I'm one of those, well, it's open, so I'll, I'll finish it. So we'll finish it now, yeah. Um, which means I'd always have sometimes like a bottle and a half more than I wanted, really. Yeah. So I don't do that either. Like just just buy normal sized beers, <laughs> um, things like that. But, but the bigger thing actually, Warren, is definitely to be drinking fewer days of the week than I am drinking, if that makes sense. And just ask myself two, two simple questions. Why do I want the drink? And do I really want the drink? Is it, are you drinking for a coping mechanism or are you drinking for social and relaxation? Quite right. 
Um, and if I'm by myself, because the temptation's still there, still creeps up on me, especially mm. if I'm tired, especially if it's been a long day, especially if I'm just thirsty. <laughs> do, I, do I really want the, this drink? And sometimes the answer is, yes, I do want the, a, a drink, yeah. but it doesn't have to be alcohol. Fizzy water will be just as good. Fizzy water, of zhuzh it up with a squeeze of lime or something. Yeah. And just taking that pause, again, a conscious decision. Is this habit still got, 30-year habit, still yeah. kicking old habits? Do I really want this drink? Why do I want it? Is it just because I'm thirsty? In which case, have a glass of water first. Yeah. Have a beer after that if you still want one. Thank you for a very frank and honest you know, answer to that. And I, I also would like to just talk about you know, employers. I'm an employer of, you know, of people and have done mental health first aid trading myself. We put yep. team members through it and just trying to be aware, but through your experiences and, you know, I think you've been again, honest in the conversation that we've had about some of the good things that your employer did, the support they gave, some of the things that were probably more challenging in the way in which they behaved and acted, mm -hmm. but for an employer listening to this conversation, what do you think they can do to really help team members? I'm torn between a sort of a practical, like an action, yeah, uh, and then a more of emotional one. So, so let's start with action. So, I, I did my mental health first aid course a couple of months ago. I wish I'd done it five years ago, ten years ago. I, I wish. Well, put it this way: it's a legal requirement in office to have a first aider. Mm. You've got to have a first aid box. You've got to have a first aider. And you've got to have a fire warden. It should be a legal requirement if you've got an office more than one person in it for there to be a mental health first aid. It should be a legal requirement, I think. If you want to be a manager of humans, you should be equipped to look after their mental health as well as their performance. And performance usually means targets. I was promoted into a management position because I was bloody good at selling stuff. Didn't mean I was going to be a good manager. What it meant actually was, if we give you people, James, we can give you a bigger target. We're giving you the wherewithal to hit a larger target. Therefore, you're going to manage people as a resource to hit a larger target. Okay. It's nothing to do with managing humans as, as individual humans. So I think it should be a requirement. So anybody pondering, what could I do to care about this stuff more? If you haven't done a mental health first aid course, start there. It's cheap, really cheap. It's yeah. quick. And if you think you're doing it for your team, you're half right. Yes, it'll help your team. But what I was really surprised by is the extent to which it equipped me to handle difficult conversations. It was about me. Because mm -hmm. I have now, as a result of what I do, quite often, I hear some quite painful stuff from people. And I'm better equipped to hear it and look after myself, therefore, as a result of doing that course. So if I did one, if I said, no, we got cut off, we had a pair cut now, just yeah. do that, start do there. Do that, there we are, um, that's great advice. Super cheap, mentalhealthfirstaidengland.org, I think. Yeah. Perhaps you can throw a link in there, in the this. Start there, super cheap. Second thing, if you really care, I think possibly the greatest gift that you could give some employees is twofold, starting with your attention, your your time, and to ask them how they are really yeah how really are you really yeah. and don't don't ask half-assed if you're not prepared to actually sit down and listen to the answer for as long as that answer is you're actually better off not asking and if you're not equipped 
that's fine. Not everybody is equipped to do this stuff. That's fine. Find someone that is and give them that space and give them that time to settle their own snow globe. But you've got to do the time. A 15-minute slot in your busy diary, jammed with a back-to-back important executive work, chucking 15 minutes for a check-in may not be enough, and you'll end up opening them up and then just leaving them hanging. Yeah. So don't even do that. Don't. If you're not going to do it, probably don't do it at all. Ask them how they are and then sit down and listen to the answer. And uh, if you're really good at it, do not try and solve, in inverted commas, what they tell you because they might really know what's going on with themselves yeah i i still don't most of the time until i'm done talking it out so give them that space great time and your attention two great pieces of advice there and turning to advice you'd give yourself (laughs) so as james the coach if you could go back in time uh, if we had the DeLorean with us mm. and you could go back to your young self in your early 20s, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now, James? It's a cracking question, Warren. I'd love to come up with a pithy one-liner for it, but I can remember how I was in my 20s and 30s and there is no piece of advice that I would have listened to because I was very much, I'm fine. I don't need advice. Who's this grey fella whose knees are shot from the future that looks a bit like me? What does he know? Nothing. I'm doing just fine, thank you very much. So it wouldn't be advice, actually. What I could do for myself is ask myself questions, not give advice. Ask myself questions and then shut up and listen to the answers. Ask some questions. Um, But going back to what could an employer do, I'm thinking now of all the times I had an annual appraisal with the many bosses that I've had and we all sit down, there's probably an HR form that you had to fill in with some competencies or whatever. I probably had to self-rate, and then my boss would rate, and then we'd argue the toss about a half point here or there. Is it a and four or is it a five? Is it a five? <laughs> and then there'd be a bit about personal development, and they'd go, well, what do you want to do next? What are your ambitions next? And I'd be like, hmm, can't really answer that because I have given this three minutes of attention because it's not core to my job, which is selling stuff, this is some arbitrary half-assed HR nonsense yeah. form that neither of us are interested in. So uh, the greatest gift that my company could have given me before all this stuff would be, uh, guess what? A coach, a coach once a year to help me to ask me questions before my appraisal, not at a super stressful end of year period, but just as a space of an independent person to just help me explore because I'm so busy running. Yeah. I don't know uh, theoretically what my five-year plan is. I don't know. It's constrained thinking. I'm just too busy running right now. So someone else that wasn't my boss to help me explore rather than require answers off me because all I'm going to give you is what I look at right in front of me within the four walls and constraints of the dreaded Ealing office, which I'm no longer afraid of. But... My my thinking would be not defined by, but enormously influenced by my everyday. So I'm never going to come up with different answers. Anyway, nobody asked me questions other than what is the like neat little developmental thing. Oh, surely, James, you'd like to go on a negotiation course because that's good for salespeople. So I usually would go, yeah, right. That'll go find one for me. <laughs> can, we, can we put that on the form and can we finish the form now? And can we send it to HR and ignore it for another year? Uh, that's what I would have done. So 
yeah, if I could ask myself questions, that might help. And if the if the business could have given independent coaches to, and not just to the top level execs either, that's my particular bugbear at the moment. Mm. Why mm. only the, the yeah. top people at the top of the pyramid, they're allowed to ask for help. They're allowed to have coaches and everyone pats them on the back and says, good for you for taking hold of your development. If a, a lower down person goes, uh, this is really hard. Can I have some help, please? Everyone just goes, what an idiot. Can't you do it by yourself? I thought that you were an independently minded go-getter sort of a person. Why aren't yeah. you fixing it for yourself? Completely different. Same There's thing. no budget for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, why would you invest in succession planning, yeah. uh, the very people that are probably going to run your company next, until they're a little bit too long in the tooth to really learn stuff? Oh, that's brilliant logic. Well done, everybody. <laughs> and a little burnt out to, mm. to actually take note at that point. So as we start to wrap up, um, what are your hopes and aspirations for your performance coaching business going forward, James? Part of my discipline, actually, to not fall down the earn lots of money wormhole that took me to dark places. Because I've actually been asked a similar question before after a talk. Somebody asked me, uh, it was a lovely question, really simple. Because I've explained what success used to look like for me. And it used to look like money and mm. nice stuff to spend us happy again. So it really doesn't look like that for me now. So what does success look like? I thought, oh, I don't really know. So I That's my up... final question. I always end the podcast. What does success mean for you? Oh, for you sure, as well. What, <laughs> what does success mean for you? So we'll, we'll wrap that up into the hopes and aspirations then, James. Yeah, okay then. So, so what I realised was, and I, I couldn't do it by myself. So I went to one of my coaching pals and said, I've been asked this question. I don't know. Yeah. So talked it out. Um, my hopes and aspirations. So as it turned out, what I wanted to do by the end of this year was deliver nine talks in companies. And I wanted to be paid for them because I mm. nobody ever really values free advice, do they? So I, I wanted the companies to care enough that they're prepared to invest money as well as time. And if they're not prepared to invest money, so what are you investing then? Oh, nothing. Well, I'm not going to do a talk with you. So nine talks, nine talks by the end of the year. And I wanted the audience to collectively be 500. Okay. So I wanted to directly talk to, via Zoom, of course, 500 individuals. And of that, I wanted to have some sort of coaching interaction with 100 of them. And then the fourth, unfortunately, necessary metric was earn enough to pay my mortgage <laughs> along the way. But I, f I figure if I look after the first three, yeah. And I'm in charge of whether or not I do, I do talks. I can control that. I can ask people and contact them and say, I'd love to do a talk at your place. I'd love you to pay me a reasonable fee for it. And I'd love you to want that to happen. And a lot of people don't want it to happen. Fine. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll try and find some more. I'm in control of that. Uh, I'm not in control of the audience other than to try and find organizations that have staff, <laughs> have, <laughs> yeah. some, have some I people. Believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, 500. That'll do. And a hundred. Oh, these are arbitrary numbers, Warren. I just they were instinctive, not arbitrary. Yeah. Instinctive. So I'm attached to them. And uh, without getting spiritual, really, I think if I just do those three things, good things will probably happen. And I hope that the money takes care of itself. So I'm now I'm certain sounding all purpose driven, aren't I? But I kind of am. That's what it looks like. But actually, the underwriting thing, that the most significant thing of all of what does success look like for me. It's be here to do my main job. And my main job is be a dad. 
and I can't do that if I'm not here. That's my main job. That's it. Be here. <laughs> be here. And some other right. stuff. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, James. Thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. If people want to get a hold of you, want to know more about James, the coaching services that you offer, where can they go? James Pickles Coaching co.uk and you're on linkedin aren't you so yes i am i'm on linkedin too perfect james thank you for as i say being such a great guest and sharing such an honest account of your experiences your story and your journey so far and good luck with the coaching james thank you thank you very much for having me warren I don't really think there's much for me to add to that conversation, except that I'm sure you share my admiration and respect, not only for the way James told his story, but also for the, what he decided to do when the breakdown occurred, how he's turned it into an experience he can use to have a positive impact on other people through his performance coaching business. For me, the ultimate lesson and message from this podcast is to accept that you'll have stress, but to keep an eye on it. Monitor the impact it's having on you both mentally and physically as well as in your personal life, especially your personal life. And to talk not just when you've reached your limits, but to regularly talk about the things that you're worrying you, whether it be to a loved one, a therapist, a coach, or among trusted peers. Don't be afraid to be open, to be vulnerable. It could literally save your life. If you want to learn more about Evolve and the services that we offer, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. There you'll hear about our coaching, our peer-to-peer services, our events, including our business festival in November, our business leaders lunch in October, and our lovely co-working space in Ashley Cross St. Paul. Or you can simply there sign up to receive our weekly insights and newsletter by joining our community for free. Thank you for listening.